And welcome to another edition of Two Steps Ahead Podcast. Two Steps Ahead Podcast, encouraging you to take your passion, make it happen, let yourself be great. I'm Son Edom, and we've got a lot to do on the show. Glad to have you along here on this Tuesday night, 10 p.m. Pacific time, live on RadioWarp.com, also on Facebook Live. Hello to you watching Facebook Live. Appreciate it. And then eventually, to the rest of you, listening on demand or perhaps on our YouTube channel or one of the various TV channels that we're on up and down the West Coast. We truly appreciate you guys listening and uh, being a part of the show. So on the show, like I said, we've got a lot of stuff coming up that we're going to talk about. And I wasn't going to bring it up because I just didn't want to. But then I started thinking about this question. Did it make any difference? So I thought, I would pose the question, did it make any difference? Son, what are you talking about? May 25th, 2020, George Floyd was killed by a police officer that has since been convicted and will probably serve a significant amount of time behind jail, uh, behind bars in jail, in prison. Uh, sentencing is to be determined. And so today is the one-year anniversary of that fateful day. And so after that, we endured months, a summer of protesting, a summer of rioting, a summer of burning down buildings, a summer of autonomous zones and occupied zones and other people dying because of it, police officers dying, other people, citizens dying in the aftermath of all this. And so I ask you a year later, was it worth it? Did you affect change? I remember talking to many people that said they wanted to be on the right side of history. Were you? Were you on the right side of history? Was your rioting? Was your looting? Was your burning down buildings? Marching in the streets? Did you get what you wanted? Was there any change? From my perspective, I don't see any change. I knew all along that the police officer was going to be convicted. That was a no-brainer. Just had to wait for the process, the judicial process to run its course. But a year later... What's the change? What's the difference? A lot of people are still reeling from last summer. Got a lot of businesses still burned to the ground. Shooting today at the memorial in Minneapolis. What changed? What was different? Is there anything different today than there was a year ago? That's all I want to ask. A year later, everything that happened that you said was necessary that you said was going to bring change because you wanted to be on the right side of history. Did it happen? I don't know. Doesn't appear to, at least from my perspective, nothing's changed. We still have great turmoil in this country. We have great social turmoil in this, in this country. We have a great divide that's being perpetrated by leaders of our country. So what changed? I'll let you answer that question. The other thing that's uh, kind of a big deal that's along the same vein is Tim Tebow apparently is back in the NFL. Hey, Jacksonville Jaguars, a team that went 1-15 and has been pretty much irrelevant since they've entered the league. A lot of people, of course, came out and said that now it's white privilege. Tim Tebow, white privilege, he's in the NFL. Well, I've said all along that, A, Urban Meyer is the coach of Jacksonville, and Tim Tebow did win two national championships at Florida for uh, Urban Meyer and basically made Urban Meyer 
who Urban Meyer is today, the legend. If it wasn't for Tim Tebow, I don't think Urban Meyer would be Urban Meyer today. So Tim Tebow wins two national championships for Urban Meyer, puts him up on that echelon of, of college great coaches. Then he goes on to Ohio State, and now he's at Jacksonville. Jacksonville is pretty much irrelevant. Like I said, a 1-15 team. They get the uh, first draft pick, and they pick that quarterback out of Clemson. And so what else are you going to do? So you bring in a guy who won you two national championships, and you sign him to a one-year contract veteran minimum, and you give him a chance to try out. He might not even make the team. And he's trying out to be tight end. I was scrolling through uh, YouTube and came across a video of a guy that pretty much, I think, describes the difference between the two. Because they're saying white privilege allowed Tim Tebow to get back into the NFL, but Colin Kaepernick is still out of the NFL. Now, I think Colin Kaepernick does not want to play in the NFL because he's developed this martyrdom that he is enjoying. He's the one that people are looking to as the one that has taken on this social justice, and he's the martyr. He's been outcast from the NFL. He's not playing. Now, a lot of people that follow the NFL realize that he wasn't a good player, wasn't a good quarterback. Sure, he went to the Super Bowl one time, but the team around him brought him there. Tim Tebow wasn't very good either. Bounced around a couple years, did win a playoff game, beat the, uh, the Steelers, the Pittsburgh Steelers in the playoffs. Went on to play minor league baseball, AAA. Impressive, an athlete. And so now he's back in the NFL, and apparently everyone thinks it's white privilege. So again, I'm scrolling across this uh, video and listening to this guy, and I think he pretty much summed it up. It's in two parts. The first part, he talks about Colin Kaepernick, and then the second part, he talks about Tim Tebow. I'm going to play it, and then we can talk about it. So here's the first part of this guy. I believe his, well, it goes online by uh, the name, the officer Tatum, something like that. But here's what he had to say about first Colin Kaepernick. You got a person in Colin Kaepernick who was a terrible quarterback. I think he was a little better than Tim Tebow, but he was a terrible quarterback that added no value to the NFL. He actually devalued the NFL by his shenanigans on the field. Here's a few other things. He opted out of his contract. They never kicked him out. He opted out of his contract. Then teams offered him a deal to sign with them after he had opted out of his contract. He decided that they weren't going to pay him enough. So he sat on the sideline, became this fake activist, did nothing compelling, in my personal opinion, to do anything to solve any problems. Now he's writing a book about social justice utopia and, and, and anti-police rhetoric. And when they gave him another opportunity to come back in the NFL, he squandered it. He played games. He got a training over here. He told them to be over here an hour late. He over here an hour away. He expected people to kiss his rear end. He's not good enough. So a lot of people think that Colin Kaepernick has been blackballed from the NFL. It was so eloquently described right there in that audio clip that Colin Kaepernick opted out of his contract and then decided he wasn't getting paid enough, so he signed with nobody. A couple years go by. He's a couple years older now. Eventually, he gets a chance, and then he screws the whole thing up instead of showing up to the tryout or the workout and allowing the scouts and the coaches to see his abilities. He changes, goes someplace else, and the whole thing's messed up. Now, in effort for fairness, there were some legalese that uh, kind of got in the mix that both camps, the NFL and 
Kaepernick's camps, uh, couldn't decide on some things, a lot of legal issues that uh, you can go search it up if you want to. So there were some things, but if he really wanted to be in the NFL and try out, he would have been there. He would have made it happen one way or another. But instead, he opts to do his own thing. Now, let me pose something to you. So you're going to hire somebody. You own a business, and you want to hire somebody. So you put out a jobs wanted ad. Hey, we want you. You get someone to apply. You find an applicant that is a good applicant. You want to bring them in for an interview. Get to know more about them. Talk to them. See if they'd be a good fit. So you schedule a date and time. And maybe this particular thing is in the office. People have opened up, so now we're getting back into the office. So you invite them into the office. But even then, let's say it's on Zoom. You're going to have a Zoom meeting. So let's take the Zoom meeting first. So you send out the information where this is where you log on. This is the time you log on. Here's the passcode, and you can get into Zoom, and we'll interview you. Well, then, shortly before it's the interview time, you get a message back from the applicant that says that they're going to do it at another day, another time, and they're going to use Skype, and they'll send you the information, how you can log on, how you can find them. Or if they're coming into the office, they say, you know what, I'm going to change the date and time. In fact, why don't you come to me, and we'll meet at this place at this time and conduct the interview. If you were the employer, would you even bother? Wouldn't you just dismiss that person as irresponsible? Dismiss that person as someone that you can't trust to do the job, show up on time, follow instructions, do what the job is supposed to do? If you were the applicant, would you have the balls to even do that? Probably not. When you take a look at athletes, you forget that they're employees. The teams, the NFL is the employer. Things don't change just because somebody is making a gazillion dollars and is a superstar. They're still under contract. They still have things to follow, rules to follow, regulations to follow, dress codes, whatever. So somebody that is applying for a position, regardless of what it is, wouldn't you want to follow the protocols and things that are set up so that you can then do the, in this case, the workout so that people can come and showcase their talent? Because if you're going to spend a million dollars or millions of dollars on somebody, wouldn't you want to make sure that everything goes smoothly? If you were going to make millions of dollars, wouldn't you want it to go smoothly? Do everything you could in your power to make sure that you got the workout in, the audition in, the interview went well? Of course you would. That's why I think Colin Kaepernick does not want to be in the NFL because I think he realizes, especially now, he's a lot older, probably doesn't have the ability like he once had. His college football coach, he went to the University of Nevada. His college football coach obviously is older now, not coaching anywhere, unlike Urban Meyer, who has the opportunity to give somebody he knows. We all know in this world, it's about who you know. Secondly, then, is can you do the job? So Tim Tebow knows Urban Meyer. Urban Meyer has a team that is basically worthless, 1-15. in 15. He's going to try to do everything he can to make his team better. So why not give somebody a Heisman Trophy winner, a two-time SEC player of the year, a two-time national champion, someone that's played in the NFL, won at least a playoff game, played in minor league baseball to the AAA level, 
done some things, got talent, gives him a chance. So again, I don't think Colin Kaepernick really wants to play because he has this martyrdom going for him. He's an icon. He's a martyr. People look up to him. Oh, he's been blackballed by the NFL. He hasn't done anything wrong. But here you've got a guy on that audio clip telling us differently. What has he done? He doesn't follow protocol. He can't even set up a tryout. So he blows the audition. He blows the job interview, so to speak. He's out there writing books and doing his thing. He's got plenty of money, so money is not an option. So maybe he's content with where he's at. But I think if he comes back to the NFL, people will realize that he's not very good, which a lot of people will realize that if you take the politics and all that stuff out of it and you just look at him. Sure, he's probably good enough to play, but would he be a long-term successful player? Probably not. He had one year. Go look up his stats. You decide. Decide for yourself. Do the research yourself. And then on top of that, if he didn't perform well, all of a sudden all that goes away and he's just another bust. The book he's writing isn't going to sell. Anything he has to say, nobody's going to care. But then you take a look at Tim Tebow. So apparently, according to this Officer Tatum audio that I just played, Colin Kaepernick doesn't really bring anything to the NFL or to the company of the team that he would play for, that he would work for. That's in his opinion. I tend to agree with it. So now let's take a look at Tim Tebow. So here's what this guy has to say about Tim Tebow and see if you notice anything, the contrast. Now, Tim Tebow is nowhere near as good as Colin Kaepernick as a quarterback. However, what value does Tim Tebow bring to the NFL? He brings uh, consistency to the NFL. He brings godliness to the NFL, which a lot of people who watch the NFL are, are Christian patriot people. So he brings that element. He brings competitiveness. He brings, you know, a class act. He is a polished young man, and he was commentating on, the, I think, the ESPN network. So, he brings a lot to the table. He, he, he makes a franchise look better. And it's a publicity stunt. What are we talking about right now? We're talking about the Jaguars. We're talking about, uh, you know, Tim Tebow. They need more people to talk about them. They just, you know, had the first-round pick, um, you know, the young man Lawrence from Clemson. They got him on board. They, they, they need momentum. They need franchise identity. They need you to be talking about them so they can, so they can sell more tickets and it can be more exciting. Everybody wants to see Tim Tebow play tight end even though he's never played tight end before. However, this is what I will say. These two are not the same. Colin Kaepernick is a trash bag of an of a individual um, in his actions. Anti-police, wearing pig socks, all of the above. And, and Tim Tebow is the opposite. A Christian man seemed to be an honorable individual, class act. So he compares and contrasts the two. Who would you want working for you? What type of worker, employee would you want working for you, representing your business. Tim Tebow jersey shot through the roof, number one selling jersey. Hey, someone's making money. Public, um, a stunt, sure. Publicity stunt, why not? Everyone's talking about the Jaguars. And not only that, they're bringing in somebody that might have a legitimate chance at making the team. You never know. When somebody's got talent and ability, they might be able to perform. There was another guy that I forget his name. I should have wrote it down, but he uh, played at uh, the University of Florida under Urban Meyer, and he's actually come to the defense of, of Tim Tebow and basically said that, you know, Urban Meyer encouraged this other guy, whose name I forget, to switch positions. He was going to be a quarterback, but Tim Tebow was quarterback, and so he became a running back instead, and then he went to be a wide receiver. 
And he said Urban Meyer has a way of taking players, recruiting them for a position, but then if that position doesn't work out, he can see the talent in somebody and rework them in another position and make them utilize their talents and abilities in another position. You see it all the time. You see it in baseball all the time. You see athletes start out one place, and then they end up in another place. They might be a third baseman, but they end up at first because somebody's already at third. They may be a shortstop, but now they're at second base. They may be a catcher, but now they're in the outfield. How many times have we seen catchers go from behind the plate? Think of Mike Piazza, Joe Maurer, a couple of catchers, a couple of people that I were big fans of, and they ended up at first base to prolong their career. It's just not, it's not new news. It's not rocket science. It's taking what you've got and trying to get the most out of it and put it in positions that are strategic that can also help your team. So bringing somebody in, putting them at tight end. I mean, Tim Tebow ran the ball a lot when he was at Florida. Ran the ball a lot when he was quarterback because half the time he was scrambling for his life. So maybe he can throw a block. Maybe he catches a pass. I mean, tight ends are pretty much what? Three, four catches for 20 yards unless you're Gronkowski. That's all they're looking for. Throw some blocks. Make a couple catches. Get us 20 yards. Hey, why not? And so I think that's the difference is what was being said right there between the two. If you're going to have somebody, an employee, working for you, you probably want somebody that's going to bring something positive. Like this guy said, a lot of patriots, a lot of faith-based, Christian-believing patriots. How many? Let's put it this way. If you watch the NFL, you watch the NBA, you watch sports, what's the common thread right now over the last year? Maybe last couple of years. Ratings are dropping. People aren't watching. Take a look at the Oscars. You take a look at these award shows where everybody is just spouting off their political opinion. Nobody's watching. They're dying. NFL, NBA, ratings are going down because everybody's tired of that political message because I think people in this country are patriots despite what you hear from mainstream media and all these talking heads. The squeaky wheel getting the grease, so to speak. That's what's going on. And so when you take a look at this white privilege, is it really? Or is it just the fact that circumstances dictate that Tim Tebow has the ability to take advantage of opportunities, be a team player, do it the right way, realize his position, and take advantage of it? Like this guy said, the facts are Colin Kaepernick opted out of his contract. He was under contract, opted out. Other teams wanted to sign him. He said, no, you're not paying me enough. That's business. That's fair. But nobody has to be forced to take somebody if they don't want to. And so when you look at white privilege, it's like, what are we talking about? And so if you don't know what white privilege is, if you've been living under a rock and you have no idea what white privilege is, let's take a look and see what um, white privilege is all about. What is white privilege? White privilege describes advantages and benefits people have simply because they are white. This privilege occurs on many levels in society. It is often not seen by white people because it's the experience they know. White privilege is interacting with the police and other authorities without fear of being profiled based on skin color. It's living in a neighborhood without facing discrimination, having parks and grocery stores nearby, It's knowing you will be treated fairly by the teachers in your classroom. Recognizing white privilege acknowledges the injustices that black, indigenous, and people of color experience that white people don't. 
It does not mean white people live free of hardships, but that racism isn't one of them. So that, in a nutshell, condensed is what people think white privilege is. It's convenient that white people don't realize it because we don't see it. Whatever. They mentioned teachers not treating people fairly in the classroom. I don't think that has anything to do with race. I think that has everything to do with the individual. If you're teaching and you're not teaching each student to the best of your ability, then you've got a problem. What about all the inner city schools? All the inner city schools where students are having academic issues, where they are being taught by teachers of their same color. So I think the education thing, I think there's some things that are just thrown into this white privilege because I think people don't want to take responsibility for themselves. They don't want to take responsibility for their actions, for their circumstances. We can't control the environment that we're born into. Some people are lucky enough to be born into privilege, money, status. Hey, let's take a look at the Bidens. You think Joe Biden's kids weren't born into privilege? His kids, Hunter, is getting all the privilege in the world right now, being protected and coddled because apparently he's done a lot of bad things that nobody wants people to know about. So where did white privilege come from? Has it been around for a while? Has the concept been around a while? No. Peggy McIntosh. She came up with the concept of white privilege back in the late 1980s. She was working for uh, the Wellesley Women's Center, a scholar, women's studies. And in 1988, she came out with a, um, I don't know if it's a book, some sort of publication that said white privilege and male privilege and came up with 46 examples of white privilege. She felt like she was being benefited because of the color of her skin, because she was hearing other people's stories. And she came to the conclusion that, you know what? I must not have experienced that because of the color of my skin. So she came up with this idea, this concept of white privilege that then pretty much hit the mainstream from there. 1988. I guess prior to 1988, white privilege maybe didn't exist. I don't know. Because 1988 is the first time it really became something. Obviously, racism has existed. Obviously, people being treated because of the color of their skin one way or another has existed. And that can go back probably to the creation of man. And so we all know racism is bad. We all know racism dealing with somebody because of the color of their skin is wrong. But we've gotten to a a point in this day and age where we look at people based on the color of their skin. And then we say, okay, we cannot act a certain way to these people because of the color of their skin. But other people, we can act accordingly because of the color of their skin. If we're not supposed to act a certain way towards people or treat people a certain way because of the color of their skin, wouldn't that be everybody? Why don't we get back to just the fact that everybody is human? Everybody should be treated the same way. And instead of just lumping all of societal issues into this, maybe call out the individual people. Because people say, I don't have white privilege. All of a sudden, they're jumped on. Because, hey, we don't see it because we're not seen. Tim Tebow gets the advantage because he's white. Colin Kaepernick doesn't. Really? I think that this Officer Tatum guy on YouTube, the, video, the uh, audio I just played from his videos, breaks it down nicely. One person, they both had equal opportunity. In fact, you would say Colin Kaepernick had more opportunity because he was actually signed, opted out, and then was offered contracts, and 
people were like, he was like, no, you're not paying me enough. Tim Tebow was probably booted out because he wasn't measuring up, but now he's given an opportunity and it could be publicity stunt. It could be, he knows Urban Meyer it could be an opportunity because the team is one in 15, but he's getting a chance and he's taking advantage of it. And he has the opportunity to utilize that. Here's Max Kellerman. Max Kellerman is a, a sports analyst. And so they were talking about this and, and it's kind of a long winded thing. It's a short piece, but it's kind of long winded and rambling, but there's a point in there that I want you to hear. So let's see if you can take a listen and, and catch the point that I'm going to refer to. Let me say something. First of all, last time I remember Tebow on a field, he was throwing a pass to beat the Pittsburgh Steelers in the playoffs. People kind of forget about that. Look, let me tell you how I see Tim Tebow's situation, guys. I think you're right on the money, Chris. He's getting this opportunity because this is an Urban Meyer joint, right? He wants his guy there. Look, Urban Meyer wants a security blanket, too, in the, in the pros, just like, any, you know, and this is his guy. He had success with him. He can deliver the message in the locker room. He's polarizing. That's because some people don't like that. They feel he brings the circus. But other people are drawn to him because he's charismatic. And, and, and this is what I really want to say about it. Tim Tebow has an opportunity now. He should not apologize for taking that opportunity, and he should take the opportunity. Me, I would take an opportunity that came my way and not apologize for it. I don't care if it's because I have a relationship with the person in charge. I don't care if it's white privilege. I don't care if it's because I am popular in certain circles because of religion or anything else. I would take my opportunity. Now, it's not that I feel that we'll speak to white privilege for a second, for example, that that doesn't come with any strings. You should take it, and I wouldn't apologize for mine. The question is then what do you do with it? For example, people are linking this to another issue um, that we can get into a little bit later in the show um, involving Colin Kaepernick. I think for Tim Tebow, he doesn't have to worry about anyone else's situation. He doesn't have to worry about any privilege or opportunity he has. But I do think it puts him in the position where there's a certain responsibility for him to speak out for others who don't have the same kind of opportunity he does. That said, he should take it, run with it, and go as far as he can. Now, the point that I wanted to bring up was the fact that Kellerman says that, you know, Tim Tebow has the responsibility to speak up for those that don't. If anybody knows Tim Tebow and has followed him and knows about his personal life and knows about his convictions and his beliefs and stuff, Tim Tebow wouldn't be the one that would need to look at it as a responsibility. If anybody's going to speak out and, you, and be a voice for others that don't have that voice, Tim Tebow would be your guy. He'd be the one that would speak out. He would be the one that would, when given the opportunity, be able to shed light on the subject. And he might not talk about Colin Kaepernick, but there's other issues he might shed light on, other injustices. So wouldn't you want someone like Tim Tebow in the NFL? Wouldn't you want someone like Tim Tebow having a platform in which he could speak out against the injustices, things that aren't going right in this world? not going right in the NFL. He might not do it in a political fashion. He might not do it the way you think he should. He's going to do it his way. If you don't know anything about Tim Tebow, I encourage you to look him up. 
do some research. Find out more about him. He's got a couple books out there. Read his books. You can probably find them pretty cheap. But find out more about the guy before you start judging the guy. Because the difference between Colin Kaepernick and Tim Tebow is Colin Kaepernick has brought the attention on himself. Everybody knows what he's about. People don't know Tim Tebow, and they just judge him based on the color of his skin. They just judge him based on where he came from. They just judge him based on what he looks like and what they hear about him. If you're judging somebody based on the color of their skin, isn't that the very definition of racism? Maybe you should check out who he is. And instead of looking at people based on the color of their skin, maybe we should look at people based on their heart, who they are, what they're doing, what their actions are like. Just a thought. But you do the research. You find out. You get the information. And don't just rely on what other people tell you, but do the research yourself, and then you can decide. One of the uh, things I also want to talk about and was going to be travel this summer and in the, so what I do is I put out a um, kind of a promo video on, on social media when I want to talk about, and I th- talked about, you know, traveling. But then after that, as I was getting ready for the show, one of the things that came up was the story about Southwest Airlines, how there was a, um, a passenger that I guess was unruly and basically assaulted an airline, a flight attendant for Southwest, knocked out some teeth. Now, never should there be violence. Never should there be an attack on another person. Never should there be things like that. Although we learned last year that rioting and burning down buildings was okay for a cause. But again, violence should never be a means to settle a disagreement. And so apparently this person, this flight on the flight, this passenger, the plane landed, unbuckled the seatbelt, got up. The plane was still moving on the tarmac toward the gate. The flight attendant basically said, hey, you need to sit down and stay buckled because the plane's moving. We all know that. And then apparently it escalated from there and the flight attendant got teeth knocked out. It was basically passenger misconduct. Got arrested and there'll probably be some consequences. And the union has gotten involved. The flight attendant union has gotten involved. So a bad situation. Unfortunate situation. The flight attendant did not deserve that. However, in the past year, especially during the pandemic, I have taken six trips to different places. I've traveled. I've gotten out there. That means 12, possibly more, if you consider a change of flight and layover and another flight, at least a minimum of 12 flight crews that I've dealt with, and probably more. It's probably more like 16 to 18. But when I take a look at traveling recently and flight attendants, you take a look at passenger misconduct versus attendants, flight attendants, and their unprofessionalism. I've seen a lot of flight attendants being unprofessional over the last year. You know, in a pandemic, obviously everybody's kind of scared. Nobody knows what's going on. People still want to keep their jobs, but now we're coming out of it. People are getting vaccinated, and yet we still have a fear of this virus, especially by flight attendants and the airlines. You sit in an airport and you listen to the message over and over and over again. Maintain social distancing. Wear your mask. Maintain social distancing at least six feet. 
Then they stick you on a plane and there's literally 50 people within six feet of you. Hypocrisy, yes. I was on a Southwest Southwest flight and they told me that the middle seat was going to be vacant because of COVID. This was a few months ago. All of a sudden, I get on my return trip, and every single seat is taken. They had no advance warning that the middle seat was going to be sold. What happened? Earnings report came out. Quarterly report came out. Revenue was down. Hey, let's sell the seat. Got to get our revenue back. Okay. So on flights, now granted, not everybody. We don't want to lump all the flight attendants being bad. But I've seen a lot of rude flight attendants. I've seen rude flight attendants go after people because their mask might be lowered just a little bit and they don't do it in a professional manner. They berate the person for not wearing it. And you got to realize people, you know, they get on the uh, airlines, the plane, they've got their headphones on, they're in their own world, you know. The flight attendants may smile and say hi, they might not. They don't help you anymore because they don't help you put things in the overhead bin because they don't want to touch anything because of COVID. And so you've got some of the elderly, especially a couple of uh, older women, that are shorter, trying to get that thing, that bag in the overhead bin. Nobody there to help them. They're backing up the traffic, trying to get on the plane in that aisle. So other people go in to help. And then what they do is they do their safety stuff. You know, here's how you put the seatbelt on here. If we land in water, you put this yellow thing on you. If the mask comes down or if the oxygen tank comes down, you put it on, take your mask off. You know, they go through that protocol. That's all appreciated. But then... The rest of the flight, they don't really give out snacks anymore. They don't do any service anymore, which is fine. I don't care. I never really took the snacks anyways. But then they sit in the back, and I'm the one that sits in the back. I like to sit in the back of the plane, although I might rethink my strategy. But I like to sit in the back of the plane, and this is what I've seen. I've seen flight attendants fall asleep. I've seen them play video games on their phone, like those, what, gem games, you know, bedazzled, whatever. Uh, they yuck it up like there's no tomorrow, reading books, and just basically just doing whatever it is they have to do to fill time. Now, I'm pretty hands-off, low-key. Get me on the plane. I bring my own snacks. I bring my own water. I've got everything ready to go. I don't need you. I'm fine with that. But on occasion, there might be a need to talk to a flight attendant. In fact, on my lightest trip, the air conditioning was extremely cold. And it was like blowing as if I was sitting in front of the air conditioning at the car and it was just blowing on me. So I had a little concern. And so I went to talk to the flight attendant and she just yelled at me to go sit back down. So I asked the passenger next to me, I'm like, hey, is it kind of extraordinarily cold and breezy back here? Yeah, it was. And we couldn't figure out where it was coming from, but they didn't really care. Then they come up and down to give you out your little shot glass of water and maybe a, a pretzel or two. And then they go back and yuck it up, fall asleep, talking appropriately. A lot of conversations. There's been a lot of conversations that I've listened to because they're loud. These people are talking loud. And so, yes, I can understand that we're in tentious times for both the passenger and the flight attendants, the people working. But when you've got flight attendants that are overzealous in mask enforcement, I'm sitting there and I'm literally drinking a can. And they say, you have to put your mask on every time after your sip. I'm not going to do that. That is you being overzealous. I'm sorry. That's you being overzealous. It is responsible and reasonable for me to have my mask down as I drink and enjoy my snack. I'm not going to, after every time I put a pretzel in my mouth, put the thing up and chew. Not going to happen. I don't do it in a restaurant. I've got 50 people around me within six feet. They're doing the same thing. Nobody cares. You're the only one that's being overzealous about it. 
You're the one that's coming in in like gloves and face masks and you've got these plastic shields on you. You're the one that's concerned. Maybe you should consider staying home, not working. Just a thought. Instead of being in the back and not giving a rat's ass basically on the flight. And again, I'm not lumping everybody into it. This is my experience. You know, the previous motto was highlighting the stuff that we've stepped in so you don't have to. This is stuff that I've stepped in. This is stuff that has been a part of me. So in flight, you've got these people that really don't care about the passenger. Customer service. What happened to going to customer service and maybe going above and beyond because, hey, welcome back. We're glad you're here. What can we do for you? What can we make your experience? But like flying, there was one time I was trying to put my phone on um, airplane mode or silence, and so I hit a button. Uh, I think I was trying to turn down the volume, and something played, and the flight attendant snarled at me and said, turn your phone off. That's what I'm doing, lady. Why are you snarling at me? And then she sits down across from me and starts reading a book. And again, I don't care what they do because to me, it's no big deal, but it's appearances. You're yelling at me for something. You're sitting there falling asleep, reading a book, talking about your you know, female problems out loud so everybody can hear and we're all embarrassed and looking at each other. No I'm, not, no, I'm not making this up. So the point is when a flight attendant gets popped in the mouth and they say it's passenger misconduct, which it is completely, and the passenger should never do that. Maybe the airlines, in this case, Southwest, since I fly Southwest a lot, Maybe the airline should take a look at themselves, their own actions. What are we doing? Are we bringing people back? Are we welcoming them back? Are we making it a friendly environment? Because the experience I've had is pretty much that I'm a burden to the flight attendants. That's how I feel when I'm on these planes. I'm a burden. And I better not do anything because they might get mad because then they threaten arrest. They threaten kicking you off the plane. They put threats on you. And I've seen it. I was wearing a, uh, a face shield or a face mask, one of those uh, neck things, neck gaiters. And apparently some airlines still allow it and others don't. So I'm on a different airline, American Airlines. So I'm wearing my neck gaiter. We're in flight. The lady comes up and says, hey, you need to put this on. These are no longer accepted, the neck gaiters. I'm like, um, okay, I'll get my own out of the bag, out of my bag in the overhead bin. She's like, no, just use this one. I'm like, lady, I'm not using that. You've been touching it. You've been, you've been touching it. And who knows who else has been touching it? I'll get my own. And she got mad at me. And then I'm like, wait a minute. Why are you only telling me this now when we're in mid-flight? Nobody at the gate? Nobody when you're walking up and down telling us to put the tray upright and our seat upright? Why now? And then I got my own because I don't want you because you've been touching it. I want to get my own. Now you're mad at me. I don't get it. And that's how I felt on flights. The best flights are when the flight attendant disappears and I never see them. Hey, that's great. I don't care because, like I said, I don't use them. But again, when we're out there doing things, and it's other places too. You take a look at restaurants. Restaurants, I guess people have forgotten how customer service goes because there's been a lot of poor service. And now you've got things like COVID recovery fees. I was down at the Santa Monica Pier, thought it'd be great to get out, go get something to eat, support local business. I get down there and there's a $6 COVID recovery fee just tacked onto the bill for no reason except they can. Why do I want to go out? I'm not being felt like, hey, welcome back. I'm not, I'm not feeling like I'm being appreciated for coming out and giving you basically someone to serve so you can have a job. I don't need special treatment, but customer service is something that goes a long way. Treating somebody nice. That's what it comes down to, kindness. We're going to look at white privilege. Oh, we're judging you based on the color of your skin, but not you, but you and you and you, and we're going to treat you this way and we're going to act this way. And you, you know, have to realize that you've done things wrong just because you're born a certain way. And we don't treat people 
the way that we're supposed to. We don't treat people with common decency, with kindness. We don't treat people as we want to be treated, a means to an end. And oftentimes, that's what we're going through. And as we start to open up and we start to get back to, I guess, normalcy, I'm starting to feel things a little different. I'm starting to feel that common decency isn't there anymore. Now, there's some people that have been great. Like I said, I'm not lumping everybody into it. It's just been my experience. Some flight attendants have been great. One time I was on a flight southwest, and we're flying, I think it was, to uh, Nebraska. And um, the dude was chucking like six, seven, eight bags of goodies to us. And the flight was a little bit longer. And so he didn't care. He was just throwing things out. It was great. A lot of fun. And people were like, why are you giving me so many? He's like, hey, just take it. Just take it. So there's a balance. There's a balance between you as a passenger on a plane, complying, following the rules, realizing that we're in, you know, tougher times traveling. You know, there's some things that we have to do to make it so that everybody's safe. But then also on the flip side, flight attendants can't be that overzealous authoritarian that just wants to suppress us all and beat us into submission and threaten us with getting kicked off the plane. So again, when I read about Southwest and a passenger having an altercation with a flight attendant, it's a bad thing, but it also pauses, makes me pause and wonder, what's the flight attendants, how are they making the passengers feel? The good ones know how to play it off and deal with unruly customers and, and know how to handle things. But there's been some bad ones that have wanted to escalate. There's times I've wanted to escalate. I don't, and I never will, but in myself, I'm like, dude, this lady really needs a, a talking down to because she is really being rude and unprofessional right now and usurping her authority. But that's just the world we live in, and people don't care anymore. You know, it's gotten to the point here in California where people are leaving. People are leaving California so much so that California is losing a seat in Congress. You look on the headlines, and people say, nobody's leaving California. No, that's just a myth. People leaving California, that's a myth. Is it really? People are leaving California. And why are they leaving California? Well, this UCLA professor has an idea on why people might be leaving California. The root cause really is a failure of governance by state policymakers that's created the 48th worst tax climate in the country and the 48th worst regulatory burden. And those regulatory burdens include regulations that make it extremely difficult and extremely expensive to build housing. And what's happened is that the median-priced home in coastal California, areas such as San Francisco, Silicon Valley, Los Angeles, that median-priced home is about $1.3 million. Many of those businesses you mentioned are moving to Texas, where that $1.3 million home might cost $400,000. So it's really just a matter of simple economics. California is becoming too expensive and too inefficient compared to alternatives. Economic activity is becoming incredibly fluid. And not surprisingly, people and businesses are leaving. Now, I read somewhere that someone said that it's, there's a premium to living in California. I believe that's true. There is a premium. It's becoming a two-tiered state. You've got the rich, the elite that don't, money doesn't matter, so they can pay for all this stuff. And then you've got the, the poor that relies on the social welfare. You've got that kind of middle class taken off. 
You've got people working for some of the big tech companies now that they can work from home on a permanent basis, checking out of the Bay Area because they can find more affordable housing and affordable cost of living other places, like Arizona, for example. California has about 14 million people, according to statistics, that are near or below the poverty line. 40 million in the state, 14 million are at or below the poverty line, according to stats on that piece. Infrastructure, bridges, roads, etc. in California, rated a D level, A through F, a D level, according to engineers. And schools are ranked 39th in the country. Like you said, home prices in LA, 650000 is the average. 950000 in San, uh, San Francisco. The cost of food, everything. You think about it, the cost of food, the cost of driving, transportation, the cost of the clothes we wear, everything that we do, healthcare, utilities, name it. You do the research, you figure it out for yourself, but everywhere, this place, California, is more expensive. Now, the gas prices have gone through the roof and people tend to uh, blame the administration and others come to the defense of the administration. So whoever you blame, the facts of the matter are, Gas prices are going up. And coming July 1st, gas prices are going to go up even higher because the tax is going up. A couple years ago, in 2017, Senate Bill 1 was passed. Gas prices will now be 51.1% or 51.1 cent come July 1st this year. That SB1, if your vehicle is worth more than $60,000, you have to pay a $175 fee just to have the car every year. That's in addition to your registration fees and all that. We have the nation's highest gas tax. Caltrans, remember infrastructure is a D. Caltrans doesn't have enough money to maintain their 50,000 miles of lane highway. And think about this, okay? In 2020, we were forced to stay home. So that gas tax revenue severely dropped because nobody went anywhere. So now they have to come up with a way to recoup that. So gas tax goes up. Other things will probably increase as well. But here's the other thing. So California gets, you know, billions of dollars or hundreds of millions of dollars, depending on who you ask, in gas tax revenue from the pump. You pump your gas, you pay the price. State gets the money. But what about this? California is going to go fossil fuel free, right? Electric cars coming. Got to get off the gas. If everybody's driving electric cars, and nobody's paying at the pump, what happens to all that gas tax revenue? It disappears, dries up. So then what happens? Well, Scott Weiner up in San Francisco, he wants to implement a miles tax, tax you according to the miles that you drive. So even though you buy that car because you want to be energy efficient, save the environment, they're going to pay you, pay you by the mile. So let's say on a tank of gas, you can go three, 400 miles, and maybe you pay a couple bucks in tax, depending on how many gallons your car can take, okay? Well, what if now your mileage tax is more and you're paying more? What if now they lower that 60,000 threshold to every car has to pay just a fee to have a car in California? That's what it comes down to. Remember when the lottery was coming into play and everyone said that the reason we need the California lottery is that schools can have money and money will never be a problem for schools ever again. How'd that work out? What about that train to nowhere? That bullet train that uh, Jerry Brown, Governor Moonbeam wanted 
was supposed to go from San Francisco to L.A., but they haven't even gotten Merced to Bakersfield put together. A $10 million bond back in 2008. Caltrans finally started working on it, or whoever's working on it. Started in 2015. So far, the price tag, or at least in the beginning, the price tag was going to be $33 billion. It's now $77 billion, and nothing's completed on it as far as that first track. The price could go up to $100 billion. They keep plunking money into this thing. It's going nowhere. What they should have done is maybe had something like a train from L.A. to out-of-state, San Francisco to out-of-state since everybody's leaving. At least go from L.A. to Vegas. Make it, come on, man. Come on, man, let's go to Vegas. But what could we have done with that $100 billion? It's just wasteful. That's what happens. We've got homelessness running amok. During the Oscars, they rounded up the homeless and they hid them, although city officials deny it. Homeless people were interviewed, said, yeah, they told us we had to leave by 6 o'clock on Friday or they could come and destroy our stuff. They put them at the Figueroa Hotel. What happens when the Olympics come? What's going to happen to the homeless? They're going to disappear. What's happening to all the people in China? The Olympics are supposed to happen this year in China, aren't they? People are disappearing. The Uyghur people are being rounded up. Homelessness. 25% of the nation's homelessness is in L.A., supposedly. They want to take the homeless and move them to the beach, now they're saying. Some councilman has come up with this. And so they want to put them in either tents or these tiny homes in the parking lots at the beach. Dockweiler Beach by LAX, for those that might know LA beaches. Uh, Will Rogers State Beach, a couple of beaches that I go to. Have you been to Venice Beach lately? In fact, on social media, on my personal Instagram page, on my IG stories, I posted a video from some other page Daily violence on Venice Beach. Go to Venice Beach, it's just rows and rows and rows of homeless encampments, all kinds of craziness going on. Venice Beach has become, for the, uh, the firehouse, the fire station in the area, the most active fire station in the city, according to reports. It used to be Skid Row, it's now Venice Beach. Those tour buses in downtown Hollywood or in the Hollywood area, they don't even go to Venice Beach anymore because it's too dangerous. People walk up and down in all kinds of nuttiness. Just go to YouTube and check out Venice Beach, California, and you'll see how bad it's gotten. And we've got some pretty nice beaches. They might not be the best beaches in the world, but they're pretty nice, especially Will Rogers State Beach. That's a very nice beach. They're going to put homeless people. It's going to become another Venice. Don't we learn from our other areas? The pandemic put everybody at home. That allowed these encampments to, to take uh, up residence. And of course, then at one time, there was a law that said police can't move in and push people out. The law used to be at night, you can camp if you're homeless, but then you had to pick up your stuff and move during the day. And then city council said, no, that's a burden. That's unfair. Probably these activists got involved. And then these encampments brought up. So we have about 66,000 homeless in LA. What are we going to do with them? Crime is going up here in LA. A federal judge said that the city of L.A. had to get everybody off of the streets by this October. And then I think another judge overruled them and said, no, you don't have to because it's going to be impossible. So what are we doing? Is it no wonder you look at society and you look at the way our country is and you look at the way things are going? Is it no wonder that people want to leave California for a better life? Is it no wonder people have stopped watching award shows? Ratings have gone down. Sporting events. Now, it might pick up this year, this coming year with football, perhaps, because a lot of people like to uh, get to the games and we're going to have games again. And I know baseball, people are starting to get back to baseball games. I went to a baseball game recently. Um, you know, so people want to get out there. But I think as the consumer, whatever it is, 
that we're watching, that we're taking in, whether it's on a flight, whether it's at a game, whatever it is. I think people are getting tired of mediocrity. People are getting tired of having just people dump on us, making us feel like we're nothing. And I think that's the thing that needs to change. You know, when we take a look at the greatness within us, when we take a look at raising the standard, raising the bar, I think we need to make sure that other people realize that we expect more from them because otherwise people are going to continue to take advantage of us. Uh, Eric Garcetti, mayor of LA, he's up for the ambassadorship in India and in India, Indiana won't want him, but they want to stick him in India. Go ahead. Get him out of the country. We don't need him. He hasn't done anything. He was the president of the city council for nearly 20 years and now mayor for eight. So he's been what ahead of the city for almost 30 years. How bad has it gotten? You go down to, like I said, places like the Santa Monica pier, get something to eat because you want to support local business. I went to a drive-in today to get a salad, a chicken salad. I roll up, I make my order. I roll up and I get there and they say, Oh, we don't have a chicken. We're all out of chicken. Apparently there's a national chicken shortage or there's some sort of supply chain shortage. On the sign, it said uh, condiments and, and dipping sauces might not be available due to shortage. Remember the coin shortage? I mean, this country is a wreck. And we got people worrying about Tim Tebow playing or signing, trying to make it with the Jacksonville Jaguars. That's white privilege. That's our concern. We're worried about pronouns, he, she. That's the type of things that we're worried about when we got some serious problems. Imagine that $100 billion that we spent on that train to nowhere. Imagine what we could do with that to house the homeless, to make society better, to make sure that there's equality and equity, make sure that schools had what they needed to, in order to educate the next generation. But we don't because politicians don't care. They don't care about you. They come to you every four years or every two years or whenever the election cycle is and says, I'm here for you, and then they don't. Nancy Pelosi in trouble now because she put out flyers and emails that said, I will match dollar for dollar any donation that you send in, and she hasn't done that. Again, this is somebody that got duped by that devious hair salon. They suckered her. They fooled her. They conned her into getting her hair done. Imagine what China and Iran can do. But again, we just continue. We just continue to accept it. 10 cents for a bag, 51 cents tax and a gallon of gas. We don't care. We just live our lives as long as it doesn't affect us. And then there's others that are like, I'm out of here. I expect more. I'm going to go someplace else. I'm going to do it differently. It might be a while before I get on a plane again. Like I said, 12, 13, 14 flights in the last year. When you consider going there, coming back, a layover, switching planes, I've seen a lot. They don't make you feel comfortable. Now, other times there have been, but they just take advantage of you. They just want you there because they want a job. That's at least the feeling I've got. So what can we do to raise the standard? Well, it starts with us. Be the change that you want to be. Sometimes it might be standing alone. Sometimes it might be on your own. Like I said at the beginning of the show, all those riots, all those protests, all that burning of buildings and all that stuff that went down a year ago, did it matter? It was the change. Let me know. Seriously, let me know where the change happened because seriously, I don't see it. I don't see any of that making a change, making a difference. I don't. 
You can reach out to me. You can actually send me an email if you want to correspond a little bit more. Two steps ahead, TWO, two steps ahead podcast at gmail.com. I've got uh, two Instagram sites, the show Instagram, TWO, two steps ahead podcast, and then my personal one, Edem Rocks, E I D E M R O C K S. You go to either one, and there's a, a link in the bio. It's a link tree link. If you click on it, it'll bring up options, options to watch the show on our YouTube channel, on our SoundCloud. If you subscribe to both of those, You'll get notifications when new shows pop up. That way you never miss a show. You can also listen on demand anywhere you listen to podcasts. There's also some links in that bio, Spotify, Pandora, Apple Podcasts. There's a swag shop, merchandise shop. If you want to get some cool merch, that'd be greatly appreciated. Summer's coming, a lot of cool stuff, t-shirts, drinkware, stuff like that. And then also you've got um, RadioWarp.com, Radio W-A-R-P. Perhaps you're listening on it right now, RadioWarp.com. Live Tuesday nights, 10 p.m. Pacific time. We're also on Monday and Wednesdays, 11 a.m. and 8 p.m. Pacific time with uh, on-demand type shows. And so um, you can basically find us anywhere. And if you completely forget, don't know what to do, just Google search or internet search, TWO, Two Steps Ahead podcast, and we pop up. Or, hey, Alexa, hey, Suri, hey, Google, play TWO, Two Steps Ahead podcast, and we pop up that way. We are Two Steps Ahead podcast, encouraging you to take your passion, make it happen, let yourself be great. Thanks for listening. Do tell a friend. And until next time, you guys take care. And we'll see you again here on Two Steps Ahead podcast.